Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the weekly podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. I'm Maria Espadinha, senior reporter of FT Advisor and Financial Advisor. Joining me today is Sir Steve Webb, former pensions minister and director of policy at Royal London. Hi, Steve. Hi, Maria. And Alistair Rush, managing director of Echelon Healthcare, who has been directly involved assisting steelworkers in Port Albert. Hi, Al. Maria, hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. We will be discussing the British Steel pension debacle, the regulator's role in this saga, and how financial advisors are still being affected by what some call a perfect storm. So I would start by asking you, Steve, what lessons do you think that we've learned from the British Steel case? I'm worried we haven't learned enough lessons yet. Lots of people have transferred their DB pensions in other places from other schemes. They've taken good advice and got good outcomes. And the danger is that what went wrong at British Steel tarnishes the whole thing. And the risk is always of a regulatory overreaction. The danger is, you know, everybody says something must be done, so there's a big clampdown, and actually people then miss out on a valuable freedom. So I think the crucial thing is to learn the right lessons, and Al's much closer to this than me, but for me, absolutely central consideration is the role of the trustee that they, as the name suggests, they are there, they're trusted to act on behalf of the members. And for me, they let the British steel workers down. Al, do you agree? Largely, yeah. I don't think the lessons will be learned for another five years or so. I think there are that many people who still don't know about the situation here in Port Talbot, which is where I am at the moment. The trustees certainly let the members down. I think it was an old-fashioned hierarchical scheme. I don't think it was particularly engaged with the members. When we say the members were let down, it wasn't just by the trustees, it was by everybody. You could certainly argue that the members were let down by the financial services community in many ways as well. And is there a case to say that the regulators didn't act as they should have acted in a situation like this one? I think so. I mean, there is always a danger of the phrase they use is regulating in the rearview mirror. You know, you wait for something to go wrong and then you take action and you punish, you know, the sort of the argument about Philip Green and, you know, you, you let things go wrong and then you try and get the money back. And I think there hasn't been a culture either at the pensions regulator, TPR, or at FCA, of real-time regulation, of intelligence, of knowing what's going on on the ground, of acting quickly before the stable door, you know, shutting it too late is, is ten, what, what tends to happen. So I think, if, again, another lesson... So, so I was at a conference the other day, and both regulators were there, and they were talking about, I think it was quarterly meetings or something, and a bit of me just wanted to weep, because in 13 weeks in British Steel, an awful lot of people could get an awful lot of bad advice. Uh, Al, you're at Port Talbot at the moment. Do you still think there's more the regulators should have done and should do at the moment? I think it's easy to say yes. However, you could argue the regulator has to be more asymmetrical. Yes, there's definitely an argument for that. But there again, you could also argue that it's been the role of the regulator for the past 10 years to go head-to-head with the major banks, to go head-to-head with big companies. These are big companies who aren't going anywhere. And institutionally, the regulator was engaged with doing that. In military terms, it was like the Warsaw Pact versus NATO. And I think what we're seeing now, now that the the banks and the PPI, the big, the big scandals are dying down, we are seeing lots of insurgency warfare. Speaking in military terms, we are seeing scams ripping up all over, the, all over the country. We are seeing online activity. And this is all new stuff. And I think the regulator has been so used, has been so conditioned to acting in a certain way because it has to, it has to start thinking in a new, completely different direction and in a new, different speed. And that requires a completely different groupthink. 
Does that mean it could have done things better? Yeah, it probably could have done things better. I'm not going to be an apologist for the regulator, but I can see to a great extent why it simply wasn't able to react as it did. And I think it's an institutional thing. Al, is there more to come from this case? Are we still going to discover more steel workers who have been transferred out and it was not the best advice for them? Are there still cases that we haven't heard about? We always knew that Active Wealth UK Limited was the tip of the iceberg. In many ways, it was almost impossible to get anybody else who wasn't a client of Active Wealth UK Limited to come forward. The thinking within the two communities at Troster and Port Talbot was that if you were a client of Active Wealth UK Limited, you were missold. Therefore, if you weren't a client of Active Wealth UK Limited, you weren't missold. And we knew that wasn't the truth. We had about 130 cases or so with Darren Reynolds of Active Wealth UK Limited, but we know that there were many hundreds of times more people who transferred out than that. Now, those are the people who are now slowly starting to come forward. So if the question is, have we seen the last of British Steel Pension Scheme debacle? No, we haven't. I think it's just starting, to be honest, Maria. And um, question for you, Steve. What about those advisors that did a good thing, that they helped British SEAL members to transfer out? It was the best thing for them. But now, because everybody's been tarnished with the same brush, they now think, what have I done? Have I done something bad? What is going to happen to me? What, what can they expect? Well, I think there have been a lot of consequences of British Steel. I mean, for the advice market as a whole, the transfer advice market, the costs have gone up. Uh, getting indemnity insurance has become prohibitively expensive for some. I've literally sat in an advisor's office and lady in question was in tears. She said, I've been advising for 30 years. I've never had a complaint. And I've just been told that I'm not going to be insured. So actually, I think good advisors have been driven out of the market altogether. There will be yeah. people who did British Steel work who actually... You know, as long as they've done it properly, they should have nothing to fear. I mean, I don't think that there should be any blanket um, backlash against, you know, some steel workers should have transferred, did transfer and had good outcomes. It's important not to forget that, but far too many didn't. And I think you mentioned advisors who do the right thing. I think Maria Al and his colleagues, the Chive Project and so on, did a fantastic job trying to restore the reputation of advice which had been um, darkened very significantly. They spent their own time, their own money uh, and deserve huge credit for it. Going back a little bit to the regulators, there was um, this action plan published last week from the pensions regulator on what they were going to do in similar cases going forward. This was uh, coming from an independent review that was commissioned to Caroline uh, Rooks, uh, former money advice service chief. Were you happy about the plan they put forward? Does it seem enough to stop other future British deals? Steve? I had a look at the response to this independent review by Caroline Rooks of the, the British Steel case, and I suppose... I always think you read these reports and then you read the regulator's response and they're very sort of sober and measured. And I guess that's how it has to be when you're a regulator. But, you know, the flesh and blood, the colour that Al's experienced in talking to people, you know, the steelworkers have told their stories. I do just wonder if the reaction is up to the scale of what went wrong. You know, some people have been devastated. They've lost effectively their retirements. And, and a lot of it's a bit processy a bit this committee's going to talk to that group of people and I'm sure it's all well-meaning and I'm sure it will all help I do just slightly wonder if it's up to the scale of the problem and, and again to, to bang on about my hobby horse not convinced it's challenged trustees enough. Al do you agree? I haven't read the response um, I did read Caroline's report and I thought it was very measured it was very neutral and I know a lot of the steel workers who read it looked at it through the eyes of somebody who had had two Christmases ruined who had had to sleep downstairs on the sofa because the wife kicked them out of bed because they were tossing and turning with worry all night. And I think he's right, it probably doesn't 
it doesn't match the levels of worry and stress that people in Port Talbot and Chester that I know have experienced. I think the regulator now is engaging with it. They're going to start doing some seminars here in Port Talbot that will last six months. Pensions regulators are going to get involved, FOS will be involved, and the Money and Pension Service will get involved. So I think we are slowly seeing a rattling up of the response. Whether or not it's quick enough, that's a different matter. Mm-hmm. And in your opinion, Al, do you think that future cases like this can can be avoided now that they're aware of of what happened and the consequences? Steve touched on trustees, mm-hmm. and that's so true. The trustees are, are key to this. I know the trustees in the past have have walked a fine line between getting involved and exposing themselves to litigation if they did something and did something wrong, and just walking away or looking the other way and saying, "Well, it's not our role. We're going to walk." We're going to just overlook that and ignore it. The trustees are pivotal to this. The the pension providers, I think, are important to this as well. And I think with the best will in the world, and I say this as an advisor, I hesitate to say this, but I think we need to change a lot about the way we deliver financial advice for something that's as terminal as DB pension transfer. I think we have to look upon it differently. Steve, how can we make trustees appoint more financial advisors? Should we have rules, guidance, how can we get to that, get there? Well, certainly one thing I always say to a trustee audience is remember that actually doing nothing is a risky thing as well. There's a mm. temptation to have a one-sided, oh, if we, you know, if we vet advisors, have we, have we encouraged people to transfer and will we get sued? But actually, if you do nothing, if you fail to meet your responsibilities, actually there are cases of people now starting to have legal action taken against them. So to get trustees see that doing nothing is taking a risk would be a start. But I'd like to see the pensions regulator um, put certainly stronger guidance to trustees to say, you know, if there is a significant amount of transfer activity happening, if you're thinking of some sort of organised exercise, then making sure, however you do it, making sure that members have access to quality impartial financial advice has got to be a central part. And we made progress in the incentivised transfers exercise uh, code. Uh, that was self-regulation, and I think that drove out some bad practice. Uh, so I think we can build on that. It can be done, but it needs to be done. You know, there is still factory gating going on. There are still advisors trying to, you know, lure individual scheme members out. So there are still there are still things going on today that shouldn't be going on. So we can't regard this as a one-off, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Al, do you agree that there can be some kind of rule or guidance um, to from where trustees should be made should have to appoint uh, financial advisors for their members. This morning I was contacted by the trustees of a, of a FTSE 100 company and they've asked me to go in and talk with them about the role that advisors can play if they ever did have one of these exercises. So I think trustees do have it on their radar. I think they do want to change the way they're operating. Um, and I think they just need a bit of clarity perhaps from TPR. Perhaps they need a bit of reassurance from TPR that if they do do something, they aren't automatically going to get clobbered if it, if it turns back, if it comes back to haunt them again in the future. But I think they do need to have something in, something in place that you just cannot set, a, you cannot set adrift these, these pensioners who have been in a DB scheme for 30 or 35 years who are getting to the point in their lives when they don't want to have hassle, when their brains are not in tune with taking on new challenges, taking on new information. I, th- I just, I think it's wrong just to cut them adrift and just say, right, there you go, go and find yourself an advisor and crack on. That is what went wrong in Port Talbot. Have we learned no lessons from what went on in Port Talbot? Things have to change. And if trustees have to be taught or have to be told how to find a panel advisors, then fine, let's empower them, let's encourage them, let's reassure them, but let's make sure that the scheme members are not cut adrift 
That's what happened in Port Talbot. It's got to change. Mm-hmm. You're saying that some of the treaties are starting to change. I was going to ask, Steve, do you think that this case has marked uh, the DB transfer market forever? Are we being very pessimists or is just something that in the next years will fade in and pension freedom will be a success as originally intended? I, th- I think it looks as though we're past a peak of the transfer market, obviously um, fluctuations in interest rates, negative coverage, lack of supply of advice, PI insurance costs, raising the cost of advice, you know, you see all of these things coming together. But still, I think there is a steady stream of DB transfer business. And, you know, I remain of the view that there are plenty of people who should be thinking about a transfer, not, you know, individually should be deciding. But, you know, I can still believe that there are tens of thousands of people for whom this might be the right answer each year. Um, The challenge, I think, is to make sure it's the right tens of thousands. Um, Um, And so any regulatory response, you know, hopefully a good regulatory response, a proportionate one, will give people reassurance and could keep the market, you know, going. Obviously, DB is a legacy issue, but there's still trillions of pounds in DB. So this legacy will go on for a long time. And we've really got to give people the confidence uh, to seek and value advice. And, you know, I bang the drum for financial advice. And just, you know, Al's a professional and proud of what he does. Royal London as a business works through advisors. We're proud of what we do. We both have an incentive to make sure that the basically the good guys prosper and the bad guys are driven out. Al, do you think that financial advisor as a profession is tarnished or um, do you think the good guys can still outcome the bad guys and the bad press and negativity? Blimey, that's a question, isn't it? I think what's happened in Port Talbot, what's happened with BSPS could tarnish financial advice irrevocably. I think the danger is that insurance becomes just so expensive that advisors just walk away from it. And although the practice is a you can actually do a db transfer nobody will want to do it because the consequences are too great that's the danger that's the danger i think we face i think it requires good leadership from the regulator the regulators in making sure that the freedoms which steve extended to people out there to take for whom it was correct they can still do that otherwise it's all pretty pointless it's just been a complete waste of time isn't it Interesting thoughts. Thank you for joining us today, Steve and Al, and we'll see you again uh, next week at FT Advisor Podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.